is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gould. Good morning, and here we are, Boom Goddess Radio, and we're sitting here with Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, who will be directing today, and our guest, Pam Hopman. And I am Andrea Goldmarks. We are so delighted to have you here, Pam. You're such a great lady. And um, Pam has a practice in Tucson. She's a um, chartered retirement planning counselor with a designation. And her book, which is so fascinating, is called Wealth Amplified. Welcome, Pam Hopman. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. We're excited to get into this whole issue of finance and particularly how women have a certain stance toward finance. And I know that you probably see a lot of women, both in business and in personal life. Can you tell us a little bit about your path in becoming a financial planner? Well, it's an unusual path. I didn't really become... Good. We like it unusual. Yeah. Well, we didn't... I didn't really become a financial advisor or planner until um, my late 40s. So I married my husband pretty quickly af- out of college. We have three beautiful daughters who I stayed home and helped take care of. And then it was at about the age of 47, 48, I finally said to myself, you know, I really think there's something else I need to do in this life. And so I started looking for it, and I ended up in the financial advising area. So it was a lot of work since then, but I've, I've embraced it. It's become part of me, and I really enjoyed what I do. Why did you embrace uh, financial planning? Was, did, you have a, did you have friends that were asking you questions, and you thought maybe this would be a good arena to go into to help others? What a great question. I actually uh, was doing a lot of the research myself for our own personal situation, and I started to get more interested in knowing more and more about it. And then, unfortunately, um, my husband's brother, 40-year-old brother, was running in the park one Sunday morning and dropped dead. And he left behind his wife and three small children, and they were all under the age of 10, And she really turned to me and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because she, again, was a stay-at-home mom and had no background. And fortunately, I had already done a lot of my education. And it was really, that's really propelled me to take it more seriously. Instead of being a habit, it became an avocation. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Because, you know, we speak with, we have quite a few women in our network. And this is and in Tucson. We, we have a group called the Network of Extraordinary Women. And our, our listeners know them very well. And so many times they have asked the questions about finances, which you'll speak to them. I'm thinking in another month or so, you'll be our guest speaker. So this is, this is a wonderful time to start talking about it because there's so many questions for retired women that... Perhaps they're questions that they should know, but they don't. So you're here to help them with that. 
The other good thing about that is that there are so many women who are not yet retired who still have a chance to make a difference in terms of their future. And we're hoping that some young women will listen into this as well, because to be on that path early would be such a blessing for so many people. And women are so often skittish about approaching finances. Pam, why do you think that is? That's a wonderful word, skittish. It really describes many of the women that come into my office. And I really think it has a lot to do with the way we're wired. Because we're wired to take care of everybody else. We're wired to make sure the family's taken care of, you know. And the last person we're usually concerned about in the last person's future we're usually concerned about is our own. And so as a result, we don't put any focus in that area. We put all our focus in other areas. And so when that comes up, we're like, oh, we're not very good at that, or we don't know much about that. But nine times out of 10, we know more than we think we know, and we're better prepared than we think we are. And if we're not, there's still time to do something. I, you know, There's an old Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, yeah. and the second best time is now. That's adorable. And I, I also think that your um, wealth amplified goes into, of course, I'm going to say this, some of the psychology of dealing with money. And so the different personalities and the different methodologies that we use when dealing with money is such a fascinating subject. Can you talk a little bit about how you derived that adorable test that you have there on your in your book, well, there's a there's a there's a there's a history to that as well. Of course, um, I spent a few years working for a, a marketing organization, training individuals on how to recognize personality traits in themselves, their staff, and their and their clients, their potential clients. And what I did is I said, there's got to be a way to translate that to the financial world so that we can make it a little less intimidating sometimes for people to have conversations about their behaviors around money. And so at first, after I created the, uh, the money profile, I bribed my friends with wine and chocolate and dinner and had them all come over and take the quiz. And it really, the, the rich conversations that came out of it are what propelled me to, to continue going forward with it. Because it's very relatable. So I could see how that would happen. It really makes you think. Uh, you, you had me thinking about things I hadn't thought about in a while. So it's, it's really wonderful. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to direct all of our listeners to the profile so that they can take it. So they will know how much they need to have a conversation with you about their financial future. And that would be wonderful. The, the, uh, the money profile itself is, is complimentary, and you do get results, but the actual interpretation to your personal life, you might need a little help, and that's where I come in. Absolutely. Okay. That's where the counseling comes in. Tell me, what is the definition? We know what the dictionary definition is of wealth, but what is wealth? I mean, wealth to one person may or may not be wealth to another person. Um, I heard I heard somebody tell a joke one time that said if if if, uh, if Bill Gates had Oprah Winfrey's money, he would commit suicide. All right. So now, what is the definition of wealth? I mean, how do how how do we know if we're, is it is it just being okay financially in our own homes and hearts? I mean, explain that to me. Well, my definition of wealth is very subjective, and it is individualized. It is what 
what makes you happy? What makes you able to go to sleep at night without worrying about what's going to happen the next day? And, you know, there is some money involved with that because people that have no money don't have that peace of mind. I mean, absolutely no money. And people that have no money also are very often because they've given up the idea of ever having money are the ones that tell you that money's not important. But money is important to the quality of life that you want, whether it's a little money or a lot of money. And the quality of your life is what determines what your wealth is. That's what I thought, because, well, you know, some people are very comfortable. You know, I hear people, I mean, they're, they're retired and they planned and they've got their pensions and they're they don't have to make ends meet. All the ends do meet. And they're very comfortable and very happy. But they're not considered wealthy, wealthy as as millionaires or billionaires are. So that's that's good to know that we don't have to be climbing that mountain to millionaire row to uh, to feel the sense of wealth. That's good to have. So as a director and an observer of this uh, recording, I can um, do a little commentary. And right before we break now, um, I'd like to add that uh, taking a little financial quiz with a glass of wine and some cheese and your friends is the most delightful way to approach this topic. We'll be right back. Pam, I'm so glad you mentioned um, being able to sleep at night uh, as one of the important uh, indicators of being content with oneself, feeling safe enough with one's financial structures. I can't imagine, though, that there would be anyone who couldn't improve that. I've yet to meet that person. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, and so when we say wealth amplified, what it is is, you know, looking at the aspects of really your thoughts and feelings and behavior around finances. Because when those are all in line and they're all clicking, that is where it's amplified. That's when you love your life more than you've ever loved it before. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't take away from anything to do with family love or you know, loving to be outside or anything like that. It's just part of the overall picture. Yeah, sense of, sense of well-being. I think that's kind of like the top of the list. So, so many people don't start addressing financial issues until there's some kind of trigger in their life, like you were explaining with your brother-in-law passing away. What are some of the other triggers that bring women to your door with questions and anxiety? Well, there's a lot of triggers, and you talk about a lot of them in your, in your podcast because divorce is a huge trigger. And, you know, unfortunately, so many women still on the financial side have let their husband or spouse take most of the responsibility for the finances and aren't aware of that situation. So when they come to me, they're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, and it's so the counseling would be great as they get into the divorce and while during the divorce as well as after the divorce, it would be a wonderful time for that. The other is when they become widowed. And it's again, another topic that you talk about. I have uh, um, quite a few women in my practice. A lot of them are widowed or divorced. And then the other part is just any kind of a transition, a, a move, a job, 
you know. And then, of course, there's always the questions about how much should I really continue to support my adult children? I can't tell you how often that comes in. Mm. You know, when we were young, when we were young women in our, our 20s and 30s and we were trying to make a decision about marriage and family, because of the generation, we... We, we were told that our husbands would go out, they'd make money, we'd ha- have babies, we'd have maybe have a job, but he controlled the finances generally. Now, if, if you're talking to some of our listeners who are getting ready to embark on that marriage, I mean, these women are very different than, they're very different thinkers than we were at, at 25 years old. Now, if you were to tell them, um, what advice would you give them? I, you probably don't have to give them much because they are now probably pretty sound with their money. Their mothers have told them to take, make sure they have their money and not rely on the husbands necessarily to support the, the family. Now, if you were to give them any advice, any young woman that's getting ready to embark on that marriage family career path, what would you tell her? Well, whether they want to go on to a career or whether they want to be a stay-at-home mom, they should always have something to fall back on. And I was fortunate. That's how I was brought up. See, unfortunately for my grandmother, her husband passed away when my mother was about 12 and her, and her youngest child was about six weeks old. So that was back in, you know, the 30s, 1930s. And so my mother always told me, you have to have something to fall back on. So my girls, I have three daughters, they have all brought up. You have to have something to fall back on. So it, it, isn't, it isn't necessarily that you need to have your own money and you need to have your own savings account, although it, it's, it's usually a very good idea if you're able to do that. But even if you're not going to be in the workforce because you're going to stay home or you're only going to be part-time in the workforce, you want to make sure you're putting yourself in a position that if you need to, you can have that career. You can go out and have that. You'll have a position that you can get to that will support you in the manner that you would like to be supported in. It's important to have options almost at any stage of life. And so whether it's to fall back on or whether it's to kind of have the mindset that there are always at every juncture in life options out there that you can engage in. And I think greasing the wheel a little bit with our daughters and, um, and, I'm a psychologist, right? So I have people who I counsel that options comes up a lot of times. And financial planning is all about options. It's about giving you options because when you do financial planning, you have an option to to pay for this, to retire at this time or not retire at this time. Because so many people tell me they're never going to retire. I said, great. Let's put a stick in the sand so that if you want to retire and you change your mind someday or you have to retire, which is even more than um, what might happen, that you actually have the option. So I'm looking at retiring in three years. Okay, well, let's look at what you have. Oh, well, you've got an option to do this. You've got an option to do that. You've got an option to do that. And then there's that other element of surprise. So all of a sudden, there's a health crisis. And I think that's another one that's really important that probably brings people to you mm-hmm. because all of a sudden the expenses, whether they're expenses for direct health care or whether they involve needing to hire somebody to help, those are some things that a lot of people don't think of right away. No, but those are conversations I have on a daily basis. 
I was at a meeting this morning and someone was telling me about her father-in-law and how they had interviewed a particular company and how expensive it was going to be. And, you know, maybe we should be planning for our situation so that, you know, we're, we're taking care of ourselves. I said, yes, you should. Why don't you come in and see me? I've talked to a lot of friends who have, before they reached Medicare age, they had a nice little savings. You know, they'd been saving and, 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 and putting money aside. And all of a sudden now you get this heart attack that you weren't counting on. You have no, no insurance, really. And now it eats away at all of the money that you've saved because that is not, a, that is not a, a, an inexpensive procedure. And I've had friends that have really been wiped out as a result of, of um, not having health insurance. What do you advise your clients when it comes to making sure that they have the proper health insurance, no matter what the cost, if they can afford it? Do you advise them on health insurance or making sure they have it? I have a tendency to analyze everything pretty much, mm-hmm. including all the different insurances that someone might have. I don't, I do not offer health insurance through my practice or or a lot of other insurances. I do offer some, but I don't offer those. And and I really think it's important that they understand the risk they're taking without it. Mm-hmm. If they can afford health insurance, they should have health insurance. Because you don't know when the catastrophic event's exactly. going to happen. Exactly. And you're right. That is actually one of the top five issues that keep retired people awake at night is not having the money to maintain their lifestyle and to have a health issue that they can't pay for their health health costs. And it brings up the whole issue of entrepreneurship as opposed to working for a company. You know, back in the day, the company was paternalistic and took care of its workers. And as that began to shift and more people flowed into entrepreneurial activities, the whole issue of health insurance became much more problematic. And it still is. As someone who is an entrepreneur and pays for her own health insurance and doesn't have a group health insurance plan, it is still very much a problematic situation. Um, and there are some options, you know, and, but mostly there's, it's an expensive proposition, especially when you get into, your, into this age. The, before, right before right Medicare. Right before Medicare. It's one of the first times in my life I wish I was 65. <laughs> Well, we are, and we're fine, and thank thank goodness for Medicare and 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 whatever uh, uh, insurances that we do have, because that does keep you up at night. I had a girlfriend just the other night that um, fell out of her husband's car, got a concussion, went to the hospital, was in ICU for two days, and guess what? No insurance. You know, so you just never know what what's going to happen. So it's always good to have that cushion. Yeah, sometimes it's called catastrophic insurance, if nothing else, to be able to have that. Bibi, the director here. (laughs) So I just recently moved into a new home, and one of my priorities was comfort and safety. And listening to Pam talk, that's what she delivers to us. There's something about a woman's voice when uh, she is talking about financial security and planning that really sits very well on our skin. Let's just examine that a little bit right when we come back.
So if you were to describe yourself, Pam, um, as a counselor for financial issues, how would you describe yourself? How, how have others described you? Well, it's funny you ask, because <laughs> we did an exercise in one of my groups uh, just a few weeks ago, and the number one answer, you know, there was 40 people in the room, and everybody was to write three things down to describe everybody else. So you passed a paper from one person to the next. And the three words that were most prevalent describing me were trustworthy, knowledgeable, and comforting. What Those a wonderful, absolutely wonderful words. description. And um, to get back to descriptions on your money profile, can you talk a little bit about your experience, let's say, with, with either a team or let, let's stay with our team. We each took the money profile. How did we come out? Are we all the same? Pam, tell us how we all came out. <laughs> it's so wonderful because it's it's a really strong group when you have different gifts. And each one of you is strongest in a different gift. So you're all different. So Dr. Andrea, you are the strong analytical. And Bibi, you are the strong steady as it goes. And Jennifer, you're the one who brings all the fun and enjoyment into the group. So all three of you have a wonderful gift so that when you're talking about what you're going to do one, one way or another, and it probably Shift. goes past just finances. It probably goes past to a lot of things. You're such a, you're such a well-rounded group to, uh, to, to make any kind of decision. Uh, but... Yeah, we had all different kinds of personalities. I think what's really interesting is when it's empirically proven that the little test can, because we feel like we're a well-rounded group. We, we appreciate one another's differences. And we also can come to decisions as a group very quickly because of the respect for the differences. So that's a really cool thing. I can imagine sometimes in a marriage where you might have one person who, that's the cutest word you have there, the whirly bird, you know, <laughs> up against somebody who's a tortoise. That could be a really problematic dyad. That is one of the main reasons why relationships break up, is differences in the way that, that they think in, about money or and they behave about money. And so that's one of the chapters in Wealth Amplified is to try to address that difference. Um, I've had people take this quiz, husband and wife, and they are so wildly different. And they, they both, as a result of having a conversation with me, now have respect for each other's ways of making decisions because there's no wrong or bad personality. You each have your own gifts. And one is going to be stronger usually than, than all the other personalities that are available. But you are a blend as well. So I've had people tell me I've saved their marriages especially this, there's one couple I know that they work together and live together. And, you know, the way that they make decisions is wildly different. And so after doing this, she's like, the, the, the woman who is very much a tortoise uh, said to me, I now understand how he makes those decisions. I don't always have to agree with them, but I can respect that that's how he thinks and that's how he makes his decisions. We would like to have, uh, uh, before we close the show, we would like you to uh, send our listeners to where they can take this wonderful quiz. Can you tell me, can you do a brief description on each one of those 
Champ and Funster and and Tortoise. Can you give us a brief description? Of and Chessmaster. And Chessmaster. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so these are so these are more. So this is like if you were all of this. So you're not all of this. So only some of it will re- resonate with you, and some of it will not. Although I've been told that we've been about ninety nine percent accurate in our in our quizzes. So I'm going to stick with that. But so let's talk about the personalities. First of all, we have what's called the champ. And the champ, I used to use a very famous personality as my role model for the champ, someone that you all are aware of who makes very quick decisions, wants to go from A to Z and skip the middle, wants to um, demand information, wants the newest, latest, wildest ideas, and will pursue those. So I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I think you can all guess who that might be. Someone very, very famous in government. (laughs) Um, And that's all I'm going to tell you about that. (laughs) Now, that chess master is the analytical personality. There are many engineers, mathematicians, scientists that fit this. But there's also the other side of the coin of the chess master, because if you know chess, you know that it's very strategic. People who are extremely strategic around their finances score high as chess masters. They may not think of themselves as an analytical mind, but they are in the fact that they're extremely strategic. Then we have the tortoise. The tortoise are wonderful people. They are normally, you can relate to them as the millionaire next door. They normally live below their means. And I'm going to give you a qualifier around all of these in in a bit. But they live below their means. They take very good care of their families, and they don't like to change very much. So if they're unfortunate, sometimes they get involved with an investment or a person, and they think they can just set it and forget it. And oftentimes that does lead them to lose money or not do as well as they should have. So that's what. So a tortoise. That's their one of their downfalls is to do that. But they're they are just wonderful, steady as you go. You know, don't give me a lot of change in my life kind of people. Then we have Funster. The Funster and the Whirlybird are very similar. There's some. There's a major difference between the two of them. But the Funster looks at money as a tool to have fun with, to enjoy life with. That is the main reason the Funster is even concerned about money, because they want to make sure that that money is going to give them the quality of life that they truly desire. The whirlybird is the same way. The difference is the funster has a conscience. The whirlybird doesn't have much of a conscience when it comes to money. And they often will spend money they don't have. Where, and they won't, they won't be as generous as the funster. The funster will give you the shirt off their back. They will do anything for you. They will give you their last dime. And that's unfortunately one of their pitfalls. The other pitfall is they, they are always the glasses half full and sometimes can be taken advantage of. But All of this is qualified because depending on where you are in your life, you could completely change the way these questions are answered. So you could have been a funster in your 20s. You may be a tortoise now in your 60s. But wherever you are is where we want to work from. I like the malleability because that really lets us know that we can learn. And I know that I definitely learned. I remember holding an investment called MCI. 
<laughs> in, in, in early 2000 or whatever. And I just watched it draw, and I just was absolutely frozen until it completely disappeared mm-hmm. off the charts. And I, I really had to learn from that. So I, I think that I have become more strategic as I've gotten older, um, because at the beginning, you know, if you said math to me, you know, I exit the room quietly. Um, but I, I decided, you know, going through divorce and with widowhood were very instructive experiences for me. And I really learned, yeah, how to take care of myself. And I think that it can be taught. I love the idea when I, I, I felt good when I, when I answered the question, do you buy that dress on sale or do you w- wait if you don't need it? Well, I'm a funster, and I buy that dress if it's on sale and put it in the closet until I'm ready for it. So I'm sure that there are a lot of women out there that are listening that are funsters just like me. You, Pam. Oh. How are you? How am I? How do you come out in the profile? Well, I have to say that I am a funster, but I am also very much a chess master at this time of my life. Um, I'm still going to be the one who goes out and buys the dress and puts it aside until okay. I'm ready for it. All right. Or a pair of shoes or whatever it is. I mean, some of you have your shoe thing. Others of you have your purse thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are the dresses. That's right. But I am happy to say that I've now become so much of a chess master that everything is paid for before I buy it. So it's not put on credit. I don't go into debt to do these things. So for me, that's a major accomplishment in my life. One of the things that helped me a lot is the whole issue of credit card miles. So I will buy things because, <laughs> and this is erroneous thinking, because then I can add to my, my stockpile of miles so I can travel. Well, we're just winding down. I had a great discussion with Pam Hopman. And uh, tell us, please, where can we find the information about you, about your services, and about this amazing little fun test that really delves into our financial personalities? Well, there's a couple of ways you can find me. One is the hopmangroup.com, which is my business page. The other page, the web page, would be wealthamplified.com. That's where you can take the money profile. You can also see a little bit about the, the book, Wealth Amplified, and there is a video course. The video course has two different um, aspects to it. You can take it on your own as a self-study, or you can take it where I guide you, where I have a conversation with you between each session, and that's a little bit more money. That's one. That one is not listed on the website at this time, but... You can also find a telephone number to reach us or my, you can reach us and we can talk to you about that if you want to do that. You want to give us your website address, please? The website, there's two websites. Okay. There is www.wealthamplified.com. That's one. And www.thehopmangroup.com. Well, here's to your financial health, everyone. And thank you for hanging in with us. And we'll be back later. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.